0: What I can say today is that I'm incredibly happy to be here. Um, it's, um, I had a, a wonderful uh, visit at uh, uh, KTD Monastery last um, week. I came home a week ago today from seeing uh, all of my uh, retreat brothers and sisters, uh, both the uh, uh, two people who were part of uh, my um, Uh, my retreat class and the people who were part of the um, other retreat classes. The seventh class is in right now. It's like, like, I'm so happy to see everybody today. This is awesome. Um, And so I got to spend a week with uh, all of the graduates of the three-year retreat who have graduated over the last 20 years. And uh, not only did it make me feel super old, um, because I was, in, I was in, the first, in the first group. Our group graduated in 1996, and uh, then there was a second retreat. They, they actually call them the first retreat, the second retreat, the third retreat. They don't, give, they don't call us class of 96, which I think would be so much easier, but at any rate. Um, and the seventh group, including our own beloved Adam Burner, is uh, in right now, uh, they're in their they're in nine months of radio silence. Uh, I call it radio silence, and that's not literally what it is. Uh, uh, during their first nine month uh, deity mantra practice, uh, they they basically ask them to not write letters and not receive letters for nine months so that they can focus on their practice. It's a it's a bit of a stretch for people like me who love to write letters. But uh, but it really will be extremely helpful, and I can't wait till they come out the other side and I start hearing from uh, Adam again. But uh, we got to see all of our graduates this last week, and when three-year retreat people have a reunion, there are no wild parties with <laughs> dancing and lampshades. It's not like that. We don't wear lampshades on our heads or dance or anything like that. What we do in... Oh, well, kind of like, yeah. Well, yeah, if you saw our hats, you would say that, yeah. Um, if, you want to see what, if you want to see what we wore, go to, go to my Facebook page and you can see uh, for 15 to 20 minutes every day, we wore a complete costume with a crown of the five Buddha families and little, little um, yarn wigs with top knots on it, just like you see on the pictures of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and uh, brocades, and we, we look great. Even the guys look really great with the long hair, so at any rate... Um, It was a a wonderful visit with uh, my graduating class and everybody else, and then also with Kempo Kartaribache, our retreat master, who, even at the age of 93, sat in with us every day from 9 a.m. to noon, and from uh, 2 p.m. until 5 p.m., doing these chants that have um, made so much of a big difference in the lives of all of the So. Um, when you do a, a, a chant practice that lasts all day, you get an opportunity to interact with your Buddha nature in the form of the Buddha of your practice. I think you've heard me uh, recite the Dalai Lama's comments about this. The, the Buddha taught that our minds are um, vast and limitless and that they also possess a luminosity and clarity but that it is very hard to meditate on one's mind as emptiness and luminosity. In fact, the Dalai Lama said it's kind of impossible when you try to conceive of meditating on your mind as emptiness and luminosity. It just doesn't seem to work. He said, but if you can visualize a Buddha or a Bodhisattva that is empty inside and yet appears, that's a good thing to do. And that's why in the Tibetan tradition, we meditate on the Bodhisattva of compassion, Chenrezig, and we meditate on the female uh, aspect of compassion tara and we visualize them as being made of light brilliant and full of qualities and wearing silks and jewels which are symbolic of the natural qualities that our own mind possesses in its awakened state and so um, that's what we did for seven days we i guess you could say we became or tried to accumulate the merit or good karma toward becoming Buddhas in the future for seven straight days and it was an incredible blessing. On the final day uh, it snowed and we loved that because we see that as a blessing and we see that as uh, a, um, a positive sign uh, toward the future. While I was there I had an opportunity uh, to talk with Kempo Carter who I had not seen for several months. And I was able to show him the three-dimensional model of our new center. Uh, Some of you who were um, able to be with us this week on our Tuesday night meeting saw um, a view of the three-dimensional model of our new building. The architects were here and uh, explained the interior design and a few other things. And I was able to take a copy of this uh, uh, just the outside. Uh, to uh, Rinpoche and he was uh, very enthused by it. I had it printed on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper because looking at at it as a small image on my phone just doesn't do it. And And so he looked at it very, very intently and studied it. And then while all sorts of people were waiting in line to see him outside his room, he proceeded to talk for about 30 minutes. And uh, Kempo Kartharimbache, who at the age of 93, is still actively teaching and actively attending uh, chants and pujas and things like this, he's also, you would call him a master shrine builder. Uh, He designed the beautiful shrine at our home monastery at Karmatryana Dharma Chakra, and and all of the beautiful images there, and he went on and on uh, with great enthusiasm, the enthusiasm of a fan shall we say talking about their favorite thing um, and he uh, spoke about the um, uh, the shrine that he wanted to create for us and this shrine will uh, include several uh, beautiful statues that he is uh, purchasing for us and is going to give us my favorite one thus far is um, is the central image I thought we would have the Buddha Shakyamuni as we have had here, the historical Buddha, but he's actually getting us a a statue of uh, the Buddha Vajradhara, uh, which is the uh, primordial Buddha, the Buddha that is symbolic of the nature of our minds, the Buddha that we supplicate when we ask for the blessing of realization the uh, form that the Buddha Shakyamuni took when he gave uh, Mahamudra teachings to the great Indian saint, Tilopa. And so that is who we're going to see in the center of our shrine. The image is going to be about uh, about three quarters of a person's size. Three quarters of a person's size. Just think of me, but a little smaller. About a one-quarter smaller and that's how big the central image is going to be. Uh, yes Tim? Um, I, he had lots of suggestions but uh, but we're probably going to have to discuss that at a different time uh, but uh, uh, but he yeah he he has he you know once he once he started going he had all kinds of ideas he said if you build a traditional inside, he can he had all kinds of uh, directions. But if we do something different, then we won't need to do all that. So there's no need to go through all that now. But, um, but he was so enthused. And he said, in the center of the shrine, there'll be Vajradhara. And then you'll have a, an 18-inch uh, Shakyamuni Buddha that you can put in front of it. And then a stupa and an Amitayas statue, long-life Buddha. Then he said, then I'll give you my 14-inch tall uh, images of the uh, of the great masters of our lineage, Marpa, Milarepa, and Gampopa, and you'll have all those. And then he said, he said, "Do you still have this, the the statues from the old shrine?" And I'm like, mm, "Yeah, but they're not in really good shape." He said, "That's okay. We're going to put them in there too." He said, um, he said, "What you should do is he said you should get somebody who understands how to work with the metal." And uh, he, he said "I said they're all damaged by the fire and the smoke and the water and." He said, "That's all right." He said, "If you rub the right kind of substance on the outside, they'll look like antiques." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I know he's he's he was so enthused. Anyway, and then he talked about other types of decorations and how the you know how the room could be decorated and things like that. So he was very enthused about all of that. And um, and then he said, and then he said, at first he said, I was a little worried. He said that you might not be able to raise the money. And he says, and it actually worried me quite a lot. And he said, but now I see that you have raised almost all the money. We're about, I don't know, it depends on what the architects tell us, that we could be $500,000 off, but we could only be maybe 200 or 300 off. We don't really know yet. We're gonna find out very soon how far off we are. But, um, uh, but it's, we're really, really getting close. We're getting close, and we're getting ready to start a, a sort of a last mile campaign to help get that last bit of money. And so uh, he said, "Okay, good." He said, "Good," and he said, "I'm so happy." He said because he said I asked um, uh, Lama Ani Drolkar, uh, the wonderful uh, Asian nun, uh, if she would please help you raise money in Asia, and she did. Um, it's like I don't know. It's it's almost not quite two hundred thousand dollars, but they they raised a lot of money for us in Asia. And um, and so it's just been a, it's been an incredible an incredible thing. I mean, we've raised almost three hundred thousand dollars from uh, our uh, sangha and immediate area, you know, around this whole area around Central Ohio and uh, the Midwest. I guess we would say that being good... that's just Ohio. Okay, so uh, about it's like two hundred ninety-nine thousand and change. So he was he was. He was so happy, he was so pleased. And he said, good. He said, now, he said. He sat back in his chair. He said, now I can relax. Yeah. <laughs> and, he said, uh, and he said, and plus, he said, I'll come. When you finish it, I'll come. Wow. And, and, and his um, interpreter, Lama Lodro Lama, the, the Asian nun who was just here teaching uh, in November, she said, uh, she said, you don't know what a special thing that is. She said, because he has said to me that he is, he's ready to stop traveling now. He says, I, he's, he's, he says, because of his age, he's not enthused about traveling anywhere, but he's willing to come to you when the building is ready. So now we have, uh, we have so much more to do. We have so many uh, meetings with the architects to finish the design, and so then we also have to uh, continue raising money, and we have to continue doing all these things. So that's a little bit of an update I figured i would start is there anything that i missed that might be okay um i just wanted to start by uh, giving you a little bit of an update about uh what, how i spent my my fall vacation with the uh with the llamas and then also what Kemper Rinpoche had to say and how enthused he was and how relieved he was and uh and that has just made me very happy and uh, we now we've got to do the hard work that we got to dig in and get everything finished up and go back and ask the city for their final blessing on the on the building and zoning aspects of the of the whole thing. So we you know we got stuff to do. But um, hope uh, the hope is that we will have uh, groundbreaking in the spring and finish this time next year. Who knows? You know we'll wait and see. But I want to thank all of you, not just the folks who have contributed um, uh, physical resources but all of you who are on our prayer team. um, I just was finishing up phone calls this last week uh, for uh, local people who were on our pledge list, and uh, some of the folks uh, have signed up to be on the prayer team, and I really appreciate that. And if you're interested in being on the prayer team, you can see me after, and I'll make sure you get a copy of... uh, I get your name, and you get a copy of... uh, I can send you a copy of the prayers we're having people say. You can do your favorite mantra and dedicate it to the rebuilding of the center. You can do your favorite everyday practice and dedicate it to the center. Or you could uh, recite the Tashi prayer for us. Uh, it's uh, the, the prayer of the names of the Buddhas. And you can say that for us, and all those things will help. In fact, I really think that the prayers that you folks have been doing up to now are part of why we've been able to do what we've been able to do, because of all the prayers we've had. I mean, we you know we started we got people on the prayer team early, and so you guys have made it possible for the rest of us to do the, the shoveling, you know, so we thank you for that. So I have, um, uh, I hate to do this, I hate to start by putting somebody on the spot, but uh, I see that Eric Weinberg has arrived. Um, Eric, you know, uh, when, when Daryl would be sitting at the back of the room, and I would say, uh, Daryl, what am I talking about today? Um, uh, so Eric, um, am I doing this today, or is that next month? <laughs> <laughs> it's next month, isn't it? No, we we started that. Okay. Right. You're, you're a teenage... Okay, well, here's my <laughs> Okay, just just checking. I'm doing one, but I didn't know whether it was this week or next or the next time I'm teaching. So I think it's I'm teaching in January. Have you started on Shamata instruction yet? <laughs> okay, well, all right. Then I may get you off schedule. Yeah, okay. You've done chapters one and two. Okay, very good. I, I, this is so funny. I wrote an outline uh, for how we're going to study this wonderful book called Meditation Advice to Beginners by Boko Rinpoche, and, um, and I promptly forgot to bring it with me today. My outline is somewhere uh, back at home in Newark, Ohio, and uh, I'm here with the book. So uh, we, have, uh, we have a couple of, of options in this, in this case. Um, I can uh, pick up from where you left off last week. Uh, and where did you leave off last week, sir? Chapter. Yeah, we did. I finished chapter two. You finished chapter two. Okay. Yeah. I see. Uh, the the chapters. Uh, okay, I got it. Right? Oh, you did other considerations. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got it. All right. I see. Okay. Well, I have to. I have to see if I can find it. The other, uh, the other option. Oh, more to consider. Okay, yeah, there it is. Okay, okay, very good. Oh, fertile ground. Okay, so we'll. Uh, so I'm, I'm uh, having us start then, um, on fertile ground. All right, very good. Um, what's, uh, what's wonderful about this, um, this description of meditation is that uh, Bhagwan Rinpoche is a meditation master. Um, I can't remember whether i got a chance to meet him but i'm pretty sure i met him at some point in the past Uh, he passed away a few years ago uh, but uh, before his death he was um, just uh, an immense figure in tibetan buddhism both in india and in the united states and uh, his main topic was mahamudra meditation and those of you who are familiar with uh, our center know that that is the main a type of meditation we are all working toward practicing, whether we are practicing mantra meditation, whether we're uh, practicing uh, compassion meditation, whether we're uh, practicing sitting meditation. All of these uh, three types of meditation eventually lead to the practice of maha mudra. Maha means great, and mudra means a seal, uh, like the seal on a document. And you could actually call this uh, meditation great authenticity. I know that sounds weird, because how can a meditation be authentic? I don't understand that. But what they're talking about is the great authenticity of knowing the nature of our mind with confidence. The great authenticity that comes from knowing the true nature of your mind and the true nature of all things. Right now, You could say we see things through a glass darkly, as the poet said. We see things uh, sort of unclearly through the lens of our ego fixation and our confusion and delusion. And so the purpose of meditation is to allow, at first, to allow the chatter, the delusive chatter of our mind to begin to soften and uh, settle and gradually fall away. And as it settles and falls away, we can become aware of our mind's natural state. And becoming aware of our mind's natural state, we can see that it is uh, clear and empty of limitation and uh, very, very full of potential and quality. And so how do we approach this kind of meditation that allows these uh, these qualities to arise? Well, we start with uh, Quiet sitting meditation, uh, which is great because we uh, we just did a uh, a few hours on that yesterday. So I can see some of my friends here who were with us yesterday at um, at the um, Center for Pragmatic Buddhism. We did a um, uh, an all day shamatha retreat yesterday and did a little bit of shamatha and studying about it. And so I'm going to. So this will be a refresher for you guys. I hope it's not too soon, but mm, but. Um, uh, But when, when we teach shamatha, or basic quiet sitting, shamatha means calm abiding in English, or tranquility. When we teach shamatha, or calm abiding, what we're doing is we're placing the body and the mind in a comfortable position, so that the chatter, chatter, chatter of everyday thought and confusion can begin to quiet and to fall away. But in order to do that, it's gonna be very hard for us to just sit and let our mind rest because it won't be able to rest for very long and then it'll go chatter, chatter, chatter again, you know? So this is why we need to have an anchor for our attention. We need to have something to tether or anchor our attention to. And as we anchor our attention and return our attention when it wanders, When we bring our mind back again and again and again, what we are doing is we're training our mind to be attentive. And when we are attentive, whatever is not the object begins to fall away. It's like what happens when you're in a busy room and you're trying to read. As you read, There are noises in the environment, such as if you're at a library and there are people talking or there are people rustling papers or things like that. You have the distraction of the chatter, chatter, chatter of other people at the study table, or you have the the rustle, rustle of people looking for books or chatting among themselves. But our job is to finish the reading that's in front of us. And so we have to let the other things fall away. And how do we let those other sounds fall away so they don't distract us? We remain with the words on the page in front of us. And every time we wander from those words on the page, we come back. And if the topic is interesting, it's very easy to do. It's very easy to come back again and again. And this is what we do in the practice of shamatha, or calm abiding. We bring our attention back again and again to the object Yesterday, when we were talking about shamatha, we talked about uh, three different objects. We talked about visual objects, we talked about sound as an object, and we talked about uh, breath, awareness, being aware of our breath as an object. Regardless of which of these we're using, the, the component, or I'm sorry, the technique of meditation is to place your attention on the object, and then when it wanders, to bring it back again and again again and so um, i think that what might be a good thing for us to do at this point is to do a little bit of this meditation i know you all came at 10 o'clock and you've you've been sitting for a while Uh, uh, but uh, but i'm going to do maybe five minutes of meditation right now and then i will introduce uh, bokhar rinpoche's topic about the fertile ground of mind so we'll talk about that okay (laughs) I like this meditation gong, this is nice. Uh, we have, uh, we've had uh, several people donate wonderful things to us uh, over uh, the last few uh, weeks. Help me remember, I'm supposed to show you what's in this box. I forgot it. So we'll sit uh, for about five minutes. Placing the body in the, in the posture of meditation. The, if you're sitting in a chair with your feet flat on the floor, if you're uh, sitting on the floor with your legs crossed or kneeling, and the back is uh, straight, the shoulders, hands, and arms are in a stable position, either the, the the position of the hands of Marpa the translator with the hands down on the legs, or sitting cupped with the left hand on the bottom, the right hand on the top, and the fingers touching. Or Kempakarta Rinpoche's special instruction of the lion's paws with the thumb at the base of the ring finger and the hands closed in a light fist. So you have three ways to put your hands, all of them work. The shoulders are straight, chin is tucked in slightly, the eyes are either closed lightly or cast downward a few feet ahead, and you're gazing, not looking. You're not staring at a point, you're allowing your gaze to be diffused. The tongue can be touched to the upper palate behind the front teeth and flattened to relax the muscles of the face. The meditation begins with the intention to be of benefit to yourself and all beings and an aspiration to practice breath awareness for the next few minutes for their benefit. Begin with one deep breath. Breathe out. And then allow your breath to come and go naturally, placing your attention on the breath as it comes in and goes out. You can either be attentive to the breath as it goes all the way in, the breath as it goes all the way out, or you can merely be attentive to the sensation of the breath moving at the nostrils. If your attention wanders from the breath, you bring it back gently and replace your attention on the breath. Okay. Thank you. Uh, did anybody have questions about the technique of meditation while we're here? Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What's in, what's in the box? Oh, very good. You're very attentive to what's in the box. Well. The, no, very good. I, I, I understand. Okay, very good. Well, that was actually quite good of you to, to be wondering what's in the box and have that be your discursive thought. There's actually something very beautiful in the box, so now you can, now you can think even more. Other, other things that people might want to mention or questions or anything about the technique? So, um, Bokar Rinpoche, in, uh, in, his, um, in his book, uh, he's, we've already talked a little bit about um, uh, how it is to, what it means to practice meditation, and the fact that it is not always easy to practice. Uh, we, not, we don't always have the uh, proper, proper circumstances or the time to do a lot of meditation, but it's good to do meditation with uh, with what we have. If we have uh, a pillow or uh, that that is just not quite right for us, or the chair is not quite comfortable, we can do our best to arrange and to rearrange things to have a good seat. If uh, we are having what uh, what I would call a an attitude problem, uh, sometimes I have an attitude problem. My attitude is do I really need to meditate today? I've got so much to do. Uh, Then we have to find a way to make a little bit of time for it. Uh, Even just a few minutes of meditation on an everyday basis is beneficial. And so we have to try our best to fit in a little bit of it and not give ourselves uh, too much of a hard time about not being able to sit for a very long period of time, but rather to be satisfied and happy and grateful for the time we've been able to spend. Meditating even if it's just five minutes. I've I've met people who are incredibly busy, and that's all they can manage But they do it every day and that for them is their um, is their daily practice They get it done because it's so small and so easy. They can't fail to do it In fact uh, one of the Tibetan teachers uh, once said to me make sure your practice is the right size That it's not too big not too overwhelming if it's uh, if it's too big cut it back and make it smaller so that it's something that you can do every day without fail. And so um, because we're making friends with our mind when we practice meditation, uh, we're getting to know someone, we're getting to know ourselves, and getting to know ourselves can take time and it's something to spend time with. In the chapter on fertile ground, Boko Rimshay, uh begins this chapter by uh, talking about how fortunate it is that we live in a country uh, that has a freedom of religion and that we can practice as we wish. And, uh, and he said that uh, even though we have this uh, freedom, we need to make use of it and to actually practice. And he said, uh, because we have a comfortable life, sometimes when we're feeling comfortable, we forget about practice. But he said, don't let the relative comfort of your life uh, lull you into a false sense of security and thinking you've got this all figured out. He said, we have to remember the uh, benefits of meditation. He said, through meditation, all suffering can gradually be transformed into uh, the grounds of happiness. Through meditation, the conflicting emotions that we feel, which agitate our mind, can slowly and gradually be transformed into a primordial, non-dualistic wisdom. And through meditation, this world that the Buddha called samsara, or the ocean of suffering, can gradually be transformed into a, a realm of peace, or nirvana. That is, the ordinary ro- world can be transformed into an awakened reality. Um, and he said, uh, he said uh, however, uh, just saying I'm going to meditate isn't enough. It's important to learn the proper methods. And this is why he says it's important. Uh, the next section, he says it's important to uh, include yourself in a tradition. I've often told the story of how I read uh, when I was uh, in college, how I read a lot of um, what you might call hippie spirituality. It was kind of fun. And one of the great um, uh, spiritual voices of that era was uh, the American professor who went to India and took on an, uh, an Indian name calling himself Baba Ram Das. And he wrote a lovely book called Grist for the Mill. And in uh, one of the chapters in that book, he he said, okay, I have a confession to make, he said, I put a little bit of this together and a little bit of that together and I invented my own religion. And he said, but that's not really what I recommend to any of you. Dear readers, he said, because he said, I ended up going down a lot of uh, of dark alleys and uh, cul-de-sacs and uh, I kept losing my way because I was trying to guide myself. He said, "Uh, you're probably going to be better off and have fewer wanderings in the wilderness if you find a tradition that is connected to a fully enlightened being and follow that tradition to its logical conclusion. He said, you'll save time if nothing else. And uh, and Bokar Rinpoche uh, reiterates this truth in his book, saying that if you can find a, a center or a place where a specific tradition is taught, and align yourself there and learn from human beings who have already learned how to do it, you'll be farther ahead than if you try to learn only from a book. It's great that these books exist, but they, uh, what I often tell people is that a book will never tell you if you're making a mistake in meditation, and a book will also never uh, tell you and confront you with the things that are, are shortcomings of yours. You'll never, you'll never learn that from a book. Although if you read really good books written by some of the great masters, they include a few of those zingers in them. Uh, if you know, if you are this kind of person, you're, you need to practice this, and if you're that kind of person, you need to practice that and so forth. So now he says, um, one of the things that he says in this chapter that's really lovely, he said, in this tradition, uh, if you once you find a tradition, he said you have to gradually develop trust in the tradition as well as in the view, meditation, and action of the tradition. And he said uh, this trust can be expressed by the taking of the vow of refuge in which a person uh, goes before an image of the Buddha and says uh, to the Buddha, the Buddha is my teacher, the Dharma is my path, and the Sangha is my community. Placing this trust in uh, the, the Buddha and his teachings is a the way to begin one's Buddhist path. And then he said, uh, he said, if we don't have trust in the Buddha, it might be that we lack trust in the teachings, and it might be that we lack trust in the techniques of meditation and are not able to commit ourselves to them. So he said, uh, it's good to learn about the traditions so that you can gradually gain confidence in them and trust. And as you gradually gain trust and confidence, as you practice that confidence and trust will grow. So he says, let it be, he's basically saying, let it be organic. Don't say, oh, I have to believe all of this because that's a little bit, uh, that's a little much. He's basically saying, do your practice and as you do your practice, you will gain trust and confidence in the tradition that it comes from. Then he said, uh, he said, once you've uh, chosen a tradition and started your practice, he says, it's, uh, it's useful to understand our situation. I love this because I love how Tibetans present this. They say, you have to look at your own life and your own situation with a bit of honesty to, uh, to kind of really see uh, where your confusion lies. And he said, um, he says, it's useful to understand our situation It is uh, uh, not at all without cause. Right now, if we experience a certain happiness, it is the result of positive uh, karma that we have accumulated in our previous lives. On the other hand, our suffering is caused by negative actions. So future happiness will be similarly based on our present positive behavior and future suffering on our negative behavior. This is one of the essential points of Buddhism. If you remember, the very first teachings of the Buddha when he was gathering disciples around him the first time, he basically said to them in different words than these, well, please, it's time to clean up your karma. Behave ethically and don't hurt beings. Behave ethically and don't hurt beings. Because if you behave, behave ethically and don't hurt beings, he said, then you will enjoy happiness in the future. Uh, And, of course, we all know this is true because the more people we hurt, the more difficult it is to practice meditation. Because I don't know about you, but I got Catholic guilt. So sometimes if I hurt somebody's feelings, I'm sitting there trying to meditate, and all I can think about is, oh, what I said to them, and, oh, I should have done this instead, and, you know. And also, if we've caused harm to people they may actually be coming after us in one way or another. So we we might not be able to meditate because we're always looking over our shoulder to see what's coming. So what the Buddha said is behaving ethically and not harming beings and in fact benefiting beings is the basis of uh, of a stable uh, situation. And then he says, a person who understands the relationship between cause and effect and who grasps the long-term relationship between that is done and that which is done and that which is experienced will spontaneously be led to give up negative action it's really true once you realize that uh, that we are responsible for our experience in this world he said it will gradually uh, we may need some convincing he doesn't say that we're going to instantly be convinced we may need a little convincing this has been my personal experience <laughs> i heard about karma and i'm like well, maybe that'll cover some things but not others but let me tell you, it really does cover 100% of things. Then he says, um, if you adopt a, uh, a more virtuous, meaning kind and generous and loving uh, behavior, that will establish a, uh, a certain natural and a natural inner stability and peace. Conflicting thoughts and emotions will lose their grasp on your mind and meditation itself will gradually Become easier, and uh, this is this is why uh, this is why it's good to find a tradition. Do your practice and gain trust, and then at the point where you feel that you have trust, then take refuge in the Buddha as your teacher, the Dharma as your path, and the Sangha as your community, and begin to practice in the tradition and gradually uh, take on positive behavior and give up negative behavior, which then leads to. Uh, the fertile ground that he's talking about here in this chapter. He said, uh, we have to realize that all beings want what we want. They all want to be happy, and that they may aggravate us sometimes, but uh, but they are all, in their own way, trying to gain happiness. And if we are angry at people who uh, act badly, then we are actually doing ourselves a disservice, because the, our anger does not hurt them. Our anger hurts ourselves. And then he says, the fertile ground that we have, he says, it is necessarily uh, good to, situ- I'm sorry, it's not just good to see our situation clearly from the point of view of karma, uh, you know, because everybody thinks there's only one kind of karma and that's bad karma, but there's also good karma. He said, we also have to see our situation truthfully from the fact of the matter that here we are. We are still alive and no matter what we have been through, we still got our two feet on the ground. And we still have most of our, you know, most of our faculties and we have most of our ability to love and be kind. And these are great gifts. The capacity to love and the ca- capacity for kindness means that we have the capacity to connect to people in a loving, kind, and genuine way that will help them. And this, he says, is the fertile ground that we can use for our practice. He said, uh, he says, if you attempt to uh, grow a flower or a tree in stony ground or in sterile soil, it won't succeed. If on the other hand, you prepare the soil, remove the stones, add fertilizer, your seeds and plants will grow. Similarly, he said, if you have uh, begun to correct your negative behavior and increased your positive behavior, that will create the fertile ground for your meditation to bear fruit. And so, uh, and so, talking about good and bad karma is not something that's done in an attempt to try to control people's behavior. It's about knowing what leads to what, what cause leads to what, what situation. That if we are harmful to others, our mind is not at peace. If we are helpful to others, our mind is more at peace. And that, and that increase in our peace helps us to really apply the methods of meditation genuinely and see the results. And so uh, what I like uh, about this chapter is that he, he firmly places uh, ourselves in the driver's seat, so to speak, that we can actually create this fertile ground through what we do, think, and say. He says, of course, we are distracted all the time from doing what is right, (laughs) and we are distracted all the time into doing things that are negative. And he said, but gradually, as we practice meditation, we'll be able to see more clearly that which is negative and see more clearly that which is positive and make better choices. Then he he talks about... uh, the uh, the practices of uh, of taking an object of meditation which for us has been uh, traditionally the breath as our uh, object of meditation he says once you have established the the foundation which is your fertile ground then you can actually practice the techniques and methods of meditation and he said at first you'll use an object to tether your mind whether it's a stone or a stick or a small image of the Buddha placed on a table in front of you. For example, there I have something in this box. Uh, I, knew the, I knew this moment would come. Are you awake, John? Okay, very good, all right. All right. I'll put it on the, yeah, so you can see it. All right. Uh, I'll put it on top of the box so you can see it a little better. Here's an image of the Buddha Shakyamuni, okay? Uh, He is sitting in what is called the Earth Witness Gesture. This refers to a a story in the life of the Buddha. Uh, After he attained uh, enlightenment, lots of people uh, began to question whether he really was a Buddha or really was an awakened being or not. And they asked him for proof. Prove to us that you're an enlightened being. Who? they said is the witness for your realization who's the person who will affirm your realization in other words prove it to us and he said the the earth will be my witness and he touched the the long finger of his uh, of his hand of his right hand to the earth and it shook the earth shook and so that was that was The proof that he was offering was that an awakened being can have an impact on their environment. And the very fact that the earth shook in response meant that the earth itself was witnessing his awakening. In his left hand, he is holding a begging bowl symbolizing his livelihood as a mendicant wanderer. And uh, And it's sitting in the gesture of equipoise in his lap. This image of uh, the Buddha sitting in meditation uh, is a good image to meditate upon. Even if you uh, don't have a statue like this, you might have uh, a a line drawing. And if anybody wants one, I'll try and post one uh, this week on our Facebook page or in the newsletter. And you uh, you can take it and print it out. It's just a free, you know, no uh, no frills line drawing of the Buddha and you can set it on a table in front of you and meditate upon the form of the Buddha and let that be the object of your meditation your eyes will take in the image of the Buddha all at once you won't be commenting on how it looks or what it's made of you'll just your eyes will just be resting upon it gently now your eyes can rest on it for a very long time But your attention may wander into the past or into the future. So the object here is when your attention wanders to bring your attention back to the image and rest your eyes and mind again on the image of the Buddha. This object is an example of an object that is not the breath. But there are other objects you can use as well. It's just that Situ Rinpoche, uh, the tutor of His Holiness Karmapa, When he was teaching us uh, Mahamudra meditation a few years ago in India, he said using an image of the Buddha in the earth witness gesture is really a great image to use because he said they're all drawn on a grid, a mathematical grid, so that each portion of the body is in proportion to the other. And it's in a harmonious mathematical proportion so that your mind calms down while looking at it. And so, um, so he said, this is the best one to use. And it just so happens, I had this one in a box. And uh, the reason that I had this in a box is because I think it's time that it comes to live here, this image of the Buddha. Mm. I'll get to the reason why in a moment. But I think it's time for this Buddha to live here. So at any rate, to continue, I have just a few more minutes. Oh my gosh! No, I don't. I don't have. um, So Eric, you have to pick up next week and help. I'll I'll talk with you and we'll figure out. Um, In the next section, he says uh, having a method is really good. Having having the the foundation is good. Having a method is good, and then remembering to return again and again and again to have the inner strength to return to your object of meditation again and again is really really good. Then he talks a little bit about meditating on mind itself, and uh, that we can pick up next week. Actually, I'm probably gonna be able to pick this up next week, I think, I think. So we'll talk and make sure that, yeah. And that may be what we end up doing, is that I'll go ahead and finish this chapter, because I think I'm here next week. I think I'm here until, until next year, so. So, okay, so we'll stop here for just a minute, and um, I apologize. I didn't give you guys enough time for questions, but I, I have about five minutes. Does anybody have questions about uh, the topic, meditation? I can answer other questions too, but yes, sir, I'll repeat the question. for uh, it, it, I'll save time, yeah. Okay. what's the statue made? The statue is, um, I'm going to say the statue is made out of uh, some type of metal. I don't know whether it is a form of bronze or if it is a form of another metal, but it is—it's—it's it's got a burnished color, and the face is definitely painted uh, with gold paint, with it with gold. Earth witness. Oh, well, you know, uh, yes, um, the, the questioner, I'm going to repeat for the recording. The questioner is asking about uh, the, um, the earth shaking when the Buddha touched it, if there's some, uh, some nuance or similarity between that and the, um, and the phenomena that has happened in Tibet many times of great masters leaving their handprints in solid rock. And the answer is I think there's a lot of similarity there. Uh, because it's the environment responding to the presence of an awakened being. And, um, and the enlightened being being able to do things that are beyond the, what the average person can do. And Milarepa has left handprints in rock, and so have other great masters. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah there, are, there are several other great masters who have left handprints or footprints in the rock yeah. in Tibet. And they venerate those spots, because it's kind of special. There's time for one or two more? Yes? Do you have any suggestion about how to recognize when your practice is too big? Yeah, I think so. Um, the, the the one Lama who I talked to about this said that you can tell when your practice is too big when you start resenting it. Yeah, your practice is too big when you start to resent it. And, and you just, you feel overwhelmed by it. Like it's just too much. Yeah, so that's, and that was when they said uh, at that point you do need to, uh, consciously cut it back, and cut it back to, um, uh, there's a way to cut it back. There's a, oh, there's a, um, uh, I'm reminding myself that it's time here. Um, uh, there's a way to cut it back uh, that Kemper described, and that is that if you are doing the Mahamudra preliminaries, known as nundro, that is your main practice to do. That's your first priority, and you can uh, just do fewer repetitions of that. And then, if uh, and then the next practice in the in the um, priority would be anything that you have uh, made a promise to your teacher uh, to do. And usually, in an empowerment, a teacher will say to you, uh, "Please recite this mantra 100 times a day," or "Please recite this mantra 10 times a day." That's the second uh, um, rank or, or priority. And then the third rank or priority is anything that you have permission to do and like to do. So, usually the things that you have permission for and like to do are usually the things that go first. Then, then you go to the things that you've promised to do. And then what you can do with the things that you've promised to do is you can aim those things directly at what's bothering you. Campbell Carter Rinpoche and Trong Rinpoche have both said that if something in particular is bothering you, it's really good to aim whatever practice you're doing directly at it and say, by doing these recitations, may this reverse this attitude problem I have. Or by uh, doing this mantra, may this reverse uh, and reverse the, uh, the negativity I'm feeling. Or may it uh, help me with this bad habit, or may it help me uh, be encouraged. May it help me feel compassion. May it help me get wisdom. Because the, the, what Trungpa Rinpoche and Kemp Rinpoche both said is that all practice has the potential to do all things. He says, we have, a, we have sort of a, a compartmentalized mind and that we think you need chenrizi for compassion and for wisdom and tara for removing obstacles. But he said, all practices actually work on all situations. And he says, if we can realize that and aim it, and he said, then you're going to be farther ahead than if you do. He said, this is Kemp bache's pretty much exact words, or Trang Rebache's exact words. He says, you'll do better if you have it aimed at something rather than just practicing with some vague idea of... of what the practice is about, so no problem. Is there one more out there? Yes, sir, in the back. When things come up like, uh, you have kids that you want to stress, mm-hmm. or people uh, that you want to talk. Yeah. Or some just, just Yeah. You talked a little bit about method. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, You know, when you're sitting in meditation, you're talking about physical things that arise while you're sitting. Yeah, a lot of people have this. I know I have had this. Um, And Kemper Rinpoche's advice for how to deal with the physical distractions, like itches and, and cough and things like this, that arise when you're trying to meditate or practice, he said the first thing you can do, he says, is not move impulsively. Don't instantly move to uh, scratch your itch or instantly move to get your foot out of you know, the situation it's in. He said, just take a moment and think to yourself, hmm, that's interesting. I'm not sure, you know, like, I don't think I have to do anything about this. I don't have to change this, and then go back to placing your attention on the object of your meditation, the breath or whatever. And then he said the second time it bothers you, he said that's the time to move or to scratch or to cough. I mean, coughing we can't control. If I've got a dry spot in the back of my throat, I'm coughing. There's no 20 ways about that. But for the things that we can control, we can wait. But he says if you, if you wait just even, even 30 seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, between the time that it bothers you the first time and the time it bothers you the second time, and then you start moving. He said what's good about that, he says, is that gradually, he said, you stretch your capability beyond what you think you're capable of doing, to sit with a pain or to sit with an itch. If, even if it's only like 10 or 15 or 20 seconds longer, he said you stretch, and that's good. So that's the way to handle it. Well, we'll have to stop here. So I'll, I'll tell you one more thing about the Buddha. I'm sorry, John had to leave. So, um, but um, somebody, if you see John, tell him what this is about. Um, this Buddha um, was given to the Columbus KTC uh, by his own hand, uh, by the 17th Karmapa. The 17th Karmapa presented this and put it in my hand in July. And he said, um, he said uh, I am praying For the rebuilding of your center and I want this to be a symbol of my prayer for you and my wish that this center be restored and uh, I kept it at my house for a long time uh, from July until now because I I just wasn't sure what to do with it but um, as we're getting closer to the actual construction of the center I'm beginning to think I have this like little notion, which like any notion could be worth nothing. But I've got this little notion that this is like the seed of our new shrine. This is like the beating heart of our new shrine. And uh, the, the old shrine is still here. So it's not that it's being replaced. But this is going to be like the beating heart of our new shrine. And I want it to be here until we move. So, uh, Shrine Keeper, it's, it, it's oh. yeah. So Julaine, uh, I'm turning this over to you and, and be real good to him, you know. Okay. Make sure he has everything he needs. <laughs> and we'll figure out where to display him and how. Uh, but I just want him to be here and to hold the place open uh, for Karmapa's blessing until we can move him into his new home. So anyway, so that's why I brought him. I just got this notion, these things happen. Well, let's, uh, let's stop here and dedicate the merit. Uh, we dedicate the goodness of, um, of this session to all suffering beings. We uh, aspire that all beings are free from suffering, come to happiness, and then to Buddhahood. And coming to Buddhahood, may they uh, emanate in all directions and benefit all sentient beings endlessly. We will mentally dedicate the goodness with this thought in mind. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Soundman.